I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. The Celtics managed to grind out a win in a tough game against the Washington Wizards. It wasn't frilly. It was downright ugly for quite a considerable stretch there. A bunch of free throws, fouls coming all the way through the first half. It slowed down a little bit in the second. I'm your host, Adam Taylor. I'm going to be running this first part of the show solo. And then for the second half of the show, I'm going to be joined by Duke from Celtic Stuff Live. So let's just jump into this bit of the show first. Obviously, before I get started, I need to wish you all guys, guys and girls a happy Monday. And now we're going to talk about some Celtics. So this is game two on a win streak, which isn't fantastic, but it's definitely a change in direction. Definitely something that we need to enjoy. Part of the biggest reason that I like this game was because you're not always going to win pretty. You can't always be the team to blow everybody out of the water. You need to find a way to win when the game is scrappy, when the other team is up for the fight too. And this wasn't a pushover team that they played. I know Washington have had some bad press at Everybody thinks they need to move on from Bradley Beal because they're not a contending team. Well, this team was coming in hot and they've won a considerable amount of games in the last 10. I think it's 8 out of 10. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was the number. And then they come into this game on the back of beating the Celtics previously a few weeks ago in that matinee. There was definitely a revenge aspect to it. The Celtics were struggling in terms of health, so they had no Jalen Brown, no Marcus Smart, no Romeo Langford. We know the latter two weren't going to play. It was just Jalen that really hurt. Shockingly, Aaron Neesmith got no playing time in this one. That was a curious decision. But the Celtics won, so questioning that decision is obviously not necessary at this point. However, I do wonder why maybe he was being rested. Maybe Brad Stevens didn't like the matchups that could have happened there. There's definitely questions that can be asked, but at the same time, if it's not broken, it obviously wasn't broken this game. I don't feel the need to really start questioning lineup decisions based on a one-game sample size. We have seen Neesmith get minutes at a considerably larger rate than early in the year recently, and I'm happy with the development that we're seeing from him. The first guy that I really want to talk about is Daniel Tice. So Tice has been a scoring machine over the last five to ten games we're seeing them use a lot of open corner and pick and rolls to get Tice going downhill his pick and pop game has been fantastic especially playing off of Kemba Walker and in the fourth they use that short roll pick and roll you know where they'll get Tice to set that pick wait for the double team to hedge onto Walker and then Tice will short roll into like basically the free throw line be completely open he he drained four consecutive baskets there for a quick eight points in the in the fourth there was a couple of open frees that he managed to get himself. His screen game was fantastic. I mean, he also managed to pull down nine boards, one shot of a double-double. Daniel Tice just continues to be like an elite-level glue guy at that five position. I don't like him as much at the four, but he has figured out how to play alongside Christian Thompson. And he keeps showing that if we're looking at production based on contract value, then Tice is definitely one of the better deals that are going on in the league right now i am concerned that maybe he's playing himself into a deal that the celtics might not be willing to match during the offseason but that's the offseason's problem we're talking about a win at the moment as i say that um that two-man game between Kemba and daniel tice is continuing to evolve i'm super impressed with the way tice has been this year he just continues to grow in stature no matter how tough the games are what i did like about this game as well was the fact that Kemba walker continued his own personal resurgence he had a fantastic game over the weekend which i wrote about um if you guys haven't read it 
it's still up on Celtics blog. Uh, it'll be a few down. You'll have to scroll a little bit. But Kemba Walker, the smiling assassin. I kind of looked at it as a redemption project with that performance he had over the weekend, mainly because we've seen these performances from Kemba simmering, but he's never really put everything together in a single game apart from against the Pacers where he really played well. And then he came into this game playing very well. He looks fast. He's getting to the hoop. He's managing to drag defenses out. And that's what's making that pick and roll game with Daniel Tice so valuable is the fact that instead of Kemba looking to come off the screen and get downhill, he's dragging that pick and roll over. So what that means is he's getting the screen off Tice. And instead of coming off and attacking the rim, he's dragging the, play the defenders across the perimeter, which creates that role space for Daniel Tice at a higher level. And that's why you'll see Tice pretty much just be wide open. And when it's running with Rob Williams, you'll see Rob Williams have the opportunity to back cut guys, like we saw for that one dunk where everybody on the Wizards bench was screaming that it was actually a goaltend because Jeff Teague threw it too close to the rim. But it's that type of scenario where you don't attack the rim, you drag it out, and then there's that extra room to back cut or operate in that open corner. Obviously, I mean, we can't talk about this game and not touch on Jason Tatum. He's very up and down at the moment in terms of production. He'll have games where he'll go four for 20, maybe even two games where he's struggling and scores under 10, um, 10 buckets. And then he'll have games like this, 12 for 22 from the field, three for 10. His three-point shooting is still a little bit off. I do feel like he's rushing those three-point shots sometimes, but the passing that he displayed was good. There was a few times he really zipped some swing passes across the floor. Only ended the game with three assists, but I'm not too worried about that. It was the actual ball movement and side-to-side -side actions that were encouraging overall. Getting that ball moving side-to-side -side is really going to open up the floor, especially if um, Jalen Brown's there, so you've got that athleticism, which is one thing that I do talk about with Duke in the second segment, where I feel like that athleticism, the Celtics could do with an extra player or two that can really get up and down in terms of verticality and just in terms of speed on the floor. But Tatum for a hold on great, um, we hit some tough fadeaway shots, hit some nice pull-ups, and then down the stretch, the body control, the ball control to finish in traffic around the rim. It seems like every couple of weeks we're seeing Tatum add something new to his game, whether that be a variation of his step back or whether it be an up and under move or a swing pass with one-handed. We saw a no-look pass against the Pacers the other day that we haven't really seen from Tatum. He's flashing more growth more individual growth, but that takes time to become part of the normal repertoire in his skill set. So at the moment, they're awe-inspiring, especially that no-look the other day. But more importantly, he's still improving. And this is why patience does need to kind of remain tempered with this team, because you're being led by guys that aren't the finished product yet. And they're not going to be the finished product for one, two, three years. They might be elite now. They're going to be ridiculously elite by the time they're hitting their primes as a more complete version of who they are. But this was one of the better performances from Tatum in the, in the month of February. It was the last day in February, so I get to say that. Um, rebounding was great. I think Tatum's evolution as a rebounder over the last 18 months has been a, a prominent reason why he's able to bring the ball up the floor a little bit more, why he's being trusted with that playmaking, because he can pull the board down and he doesn't need to defer possession to somebody else which allows him to kind of get straight into a set. And I know we're not seeing the Celtics get into sets too quickly at the moment, but again, as Tatum's playmaking ability continues to evolve, I would expect to see him start playing with a little bit more pace. I'd definitely like them to play with a little bit more pace. I don't know if you guys and girls would. Javante Green getting the start was a shock to me. It's not the first time he's started. He brings that 
athleticism that you lose without Jalen Brown in the lineup. So I understand why he's there. Uh, he has some speed. He plays plays solid basketball. It's not like he's going to be a star. I don't even class him as an elite role player. He's just a player on an NBA team. But when you lose a guy with the athletic ability of Jalen Brown, you need someone that can push the pace in transition. And without Javante Green, I'm not sure Jeff Teague has that level of athleticism to be able to push the pace the way Javante can, to offer vertical spacing from the guard position the way Javante can. So it makes a lot of sense replacing Jalen with Javante simply because of the ability to play at speed, the ability to play above the rim, the high-low opportunities that come with Javante being on the floor. I don't love the fact that Javante is effectively the secondary two guard while Marcus Smart's out, but that's more of a, a roster construction issue. It goes to highlight the lack of depth on this roster. But again, you are replacing athleticism with athleticism. So I'm okay with it. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be delighted, but I'm also not appalled. So, you know, we're going to move on from there. Definitely issues with this bench depth. Uh, we saw it when you bring in Semi Ojale off the bench. He's going one for five, one for four from three. And this is the thing with Semi, right? Like he'll have stretches where he's just wet from the corners. He is fantastic when he's feeling it. Um, defensively, he's the ultimate free and D guy. Um, in terms of low cost contract, and when he's playing well, he's giving you real good value for the money that you're paying him. The problem is consistency just has never been there for Shemi. We see improvements, and people argue that Shemi from two years ago isn't as good as Shemi now. Of course not. He shouldn't be. He's in the NBA. You're you're getting paid millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to improve and to put work in. That is your job. If you're the same player as two years ago, you are not doing your job. Expect to be out the league soon. My issue is consistency is important, especially from a role player. You need to know that you can plug those guys in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever day of the week it may be. If it's on the weekend, same situation too. And they give you a specific level of impact. You know that when I put Shemi in, he's going to hit 40% of his threes, and he's going to play like crazy on D. Here, one for four, 25% of his threes. There's just too much of a variance in, in performances from Shemi, and that to me is concerning, and it's also incredibly frustrating because we know what he can do. We know how he can produce at a certain level. We just don't see on a month-to-month -month basis. It's very much flashes in the pan, and I just don't see a long-term future for Shemi on this roster. And if there is going to be a trade, I can see Shemi being maybe a make-weight in the deal. It all depends. I just don't understand where he goes from here on this Celtics team, uh, not just based off this performance, but based off his entire career in Boston. I don't think he was terrible in this game. Obviously, he doesn't stand out. He didn't shine. Got nine, nearly 19 minutes of gameplay, barely made an impact on the box score. That doesn't mean you didn't make an impact, though. It just means that your impact was seen elsewhere. Generally, I just think he hits his rotations quite well. Um, he's very rarely at fault for a defensive breakdown, and that's important. That has value to it within itself, but it's not enough, right? Like This is meant to be a team that everybody's saying is going to be contending or should be contending. That's more likely. That should be contending. Having role players that do the bare minimum of expected is not good enough. And unfortunately, Shemi falls under that umbrella for me. Peyton Pritchard, we're starting to see a development here between Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams. I'm going to explore that in more depth, so I don't want to get into it too much here. But they play a lot of minutes together. They play well off of each other. 
and having Pritchard alongside somebody like Kemba as well really helps space the floor in terms of three-point shooting and penetration. Kemba and Pritchard are easily the two best penetrators on this roster that aren't named Jalen Brown and Tatum. And even then, I think in terms of just getting to the cup and looking to make the right play from there, I think Kemba and Pritchard are your top two guys. Playing them together also allows a bit of an inside-out game. And then you have Robert Williams that really puts pressure on that defense finds what then allows the team to find ways to get that up and over play going so you can get some time lord highlights some love williams if you will i like this game look the passing was better there was more ball movement scal made the point i think it was in the third saying he feels like the team was overpassing a little bit i want to push back on that a bit and say that i'd much rather you overpass than underpass you can continually pass the ball until the defense breaks and the defense will always break if you're making the next right read the next right play rather than allowing them to get set. So there's going to be times where sometimes you, like, look, the Celtics sometimes pass their way into a tough shot. That's not good offense. But it's also not terrible offense when you're looking at what we've seen previously, where you're dribbling yourself into a tough shot. You're more likely to find success moving the rock than holding it on one guy and letting the defense hone in. So, yeah, they probably went too far the other end of the spectrum in terms of passing. But at the same time, it's still better than what we've been seeing. We're starting to see a little bit more trust develop between this roster. And I'm assuming they're going to find a happy medium and we're all going to be eating our words for how rough the first few months of this season have been in terms of isolation basketball. Defense was good. I liked the defense. They were hustling. They were getting back. I mean, the Celtics out-rebounded the Wizards by 13 rebounds. Now, if you remember the last time that the Celtics played the Wizards, Rui Hachimura done a great job of disrupting the boards. He was doing a little bit of that last night too. Like, let's not lie. But they contained him a lot better. They contained the glass more. There was more boxing out. There was more weak side rotations. Smart rotations, not panic rotations. It was very irregular of the Celtics to not collapse on dribble drives as much as what they usually do. I thought they'd done a great job of shrinking the floor and protecting the dropping big, which allowed that dropping big to focus on protecting the rim and protecting any baseline drives. So it was a lot more tuned in, a lot more keyed in into what the defensive system should be. Still not there yet. Still not where they want to be. Uh, that's obvious. There was still the occasional breakdown. But in terms of defensive focus, defensive schematics, I felt the team operated at a level that's been better than what we've seen in recent weeks, recent months. And I'm hoping they can use the last two games as building blocks to finish strong before the end of the All-Star break. Right, you've heard enough of just me on my own. I've kind of gone on a little bit. That's just my immediate thoughts. Like, I watched the game. I finished watching the game. I took a few notes, and then I jumped into this. So we've, you've heard from me. These are just my immediate after-the-game thoughts. For the next part of this show, I'm going to be joined by Duke from Celtic Stuff Live. Duke has been podcasting for a long time. I think he told me it was 15, 16 years that he's been covering the Celtics in podcast form. So he's going to come in with a bunch of experience, bunch of uh, comfortability on the mic. And I'm looking forward to that discussion. I hope you guys are too. So that's going to come up after the break. I hope everybody's having a good day and you'll hear from me again after this commercial. I'm recording this segment before the Washington Wizards game simply because the Wizards game starts at um, 12.30 midnight my time. So um, I'm not going to be recording at 3 a.m. when the game's over. Um, no. Uh, I'm joined by 
pretty much the king of Celtics podcasting at this point. Been doing it before any of us, before myself, before Mr. Corrales, Mr. J. King. Uh, all of us kind of following his footsteps. I'm joined by Celtic Stuff Live's Duke. How are you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm good, man. Really good. I, that's that's high praise. I I, I think it's kind of like the... You know the the painting of the Neanderthal becoming, uh, you know, is slowly becoming. I think that's kind of what we got here, man. You know, so I, I think I'm definitely more on the chimp side of it, but uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the the praise and the and the respect. And you are absolutely killing it, my friend. It has been. Uh, I joined you like a year ago, and it was like, okay, cool. I had a great time. We had a great chat, and then just every time, like you're just all. all I'm so impressed, man. So you know. I thought I was far away and it's hard to do from, you know, here in further up in New England, up in Maine. But, uh, you know, you've got a little bit few more challenges, man. That midnight uh, start time is rough for a Washington Wizards game. So good on you, my man, for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, last time we spoke, it was about a year, about almost a year to the to the week. It was just coming oh, wow. up to the All-Star break. Um, yeah, dude, and there's a few hurdles involved, but like uh, it's a passion. It's uh, one of those passionate, what is it? Crimes, I don't know what you'd call it. I'm going to miss that one. Um, yeah, I, I try my hardest. I try my hardest. I've been following you on Twitter for a while, and this year you seem to be the a little bit more outspoken than what I've seen you in previous years with your opinion on the roster. And I've seen you get into a few kind of debates with people online. And uh, we all, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. So let's just start with... What are you happy with with this team at the moment? And then we'll go into what you're not happy with. I mean, we're drawing towards the All-Star break now. So realistically, we kind of have a very good idea about where this team is, regardless of the um, the only downside is we haven't seen the core four play much together. Right. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I think what's good, I think what's good is Jason and Jalen. I mean, I, I'm, I've been a little bit critical of late and I kind of took – I was kind of agreeing, I guess, with what Mike Gorman was saying. A lot of um, not not in, not in full, but just the way that the game, the way the game is in nineteen in two thousand twenty one, your best players are the ones that really set the tone. And no doubt, there are you know we we're going to probably go down the, the laundry list here, right, <laughs> of all the issues. And there's a lot of people, so. Talking about one problem doesn't somehow ignore the others. Uh, so they've had problems. But the most important thing for this franchise going forward, beyond the craziness of this year, is how good are Jason and Jalen? And do they have that kind of ability to get to the, the highest peak? And I think we saw that they have that. I think they have that in them. There's that piece, that leadership piece that I've been a bit critical of lately. But I think that the good far outweighs the bad. And that's the most important thing going forward. You've got you've got two rock-solid cornerstone pieces that you can build around. Now, the rest of it's easy. It doesn't feel easy, but the rest of it's easier, I think. So that's that's the – I think, to me, that's the good part of where we've been so far. When we're talking about leadership qualities, um, the one thing that I've kind of tried to tell myself, and I haven't really spoke on this until this point, was – it's all well and good saying your two stars need to be the leaders of a franchise and saying that they've been through tough spots in previous years. The only difference is now that when they were in tough spots before, they could look up to Al Horford to lead the way or it was Kyrie Irving's problem and he was the one dealing with that media kind of circus that follows. Now it's 
learning to lead while also being the two names in the firing line every night. And I think that's going to be a big adjustment for these guys too. And that's why when, like Brad Stevens said the other day, this is a, it's a learning journey for these two, and it actually is going to be more helpful for them to struggle now because they're, it's, it's character building, right? And I think they've got everything um, in terms of mentality and application to become like legitimate locker room leaders. But I just don't think they're there yet. And it's very unfair for us to expect them to be because they've never had to do this before. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I go back to, to 2002, 2003, uh, when, when Antoine Walker was traded. And, you know, Paul Pierce is on the plane reading books about leadership, right? Now, you fast forward now, 20, almost 20 years later, right? Paul Pierce, the captain, the truth, I mean, the champion, I mean, he – with the past of Tommy Heinsohn, is he the emblematic piece of Celtics, you know, Celtics pride right now? I don't know, but but my point is, it's just you don't even think about that. So there was a maturation process that Paul Pierce had to go through, and I think that's what we're seeing with Jalen and Jason. The nice thing here, I'm hopeful that we get kind of the advanced course for these guys because they had to go through. You know, you know we look at Luca, right? Luca, amazing player. He's had to carry all that on his shoulders. Trey Young carrying all that on his shoulders. They make big shots and they win, and everybody thinks it's great. But they've lost a lot of games compared to what Jalen and Jason have done. They haven't done anything in the playoffs. So I think that there's, I think we're going to see an advanced study from those two fellas. I think they're going to be able to get to a place faster than they might have otherwise. The question, I guess, is, um, you know, how hard is that? And how quickly can the pieces around them? solidify to be able to help them make the right decisions become those you know the, willing to you know maybe early on you pass that when you could have taken the fadeaway uh jason tatum you know maybe instead of putting your head down and getting to the rim jalen you dish into the corner and shemmy is hitting is, is taking a three make it or miss it i don't know but that's that trust that the best guys have to do uh, and have to set that tone for everybody else and i think they like you said they haven't had to do that Horford could do that. You know, Kyrie could do that. So that it's just going to be tough. But I, like I said, I, the numbers the numbers don't lie. They've been tremendous so far. And you touched on a point that I've been kind of harping on for about a week now, which is trust. And it's being able to pass the ball to somebody else, knowing that they're going to hit that shot. And if you look at some of the great teams in the league right now, uh, let's, I hate to do this, but it has to be done. If we look at the Lakers and their fourth quarter play, um, and I, I hate it, I hate it, but this is true. LeBron James will always find the open man, regardless of if it's the tenth guy on that off the bench or it's the sixth man off the bench, like the first guy off. He will. It doesn't matter who's in the corner or who's on the wing. If you're open, you're open, and the ball finds its way to you. And then it's a make or miss league, so you live with whatever happens from that point. And we're not seeing that from uh, anyone on the Celtics really at the moment. Um, Jason and Jalen obviously getting the most heat for that. What I, I do like to remind people of is coming into the year, it was all about developing those two guys as playmakers. Now all of a sudden we're jumping on them for not being developed playmakers. So right. it's a it's it's a catch twenty two situation, right? But um, I do think uh, trust is a big thing with this team. When we see them move the ball, wh whether the ball goes in or not, um, irrelevant at this moment in time. It's a, a step in the right direction that they really need to take. And things look better against Indiana for large stretches. There were mm -hmm. moments where it looked bad, but for the, for the majority of the time, it looked decent. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that I think that they 
things do slide back and move forward. And, you know, I mean, they're 22, 23. Nothing is going to be consistent. Um, people want to get on the bench. Nothing those guys do will be consistent. So there's, there is that, that aspect to this. And when your best players are having the ball, um, you know, they're going to feel like they have to do it themselves. You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at 22 and 23. The problem is, is when they're 27, 28 and they're doing that, you know, um, let's, Let's just, I, it's hard. Everybody wants a solution now, but, you know, as, as you and I are recording this, we're like, they're like uh, half a game back from fourth in the East. Now, look, I was also, when Justin and I were recording our show, I was talking about how they were going to be 10th in the East, and they were. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that it, what does that mean? I don't know. But what it, I think what it says to me is, look, there's a lot of season left. There's a lot of teams in the middle. The Celtics were going to be rough in this period. I think, you know, clear-eyed observers saw that. And we're gonna we'll get to the break. And then what happens? So then it, it goes to Danny, it goes to health, it goes to trust. And then we're gonna see in the next three weeks before the trade deadline. That's gonna be such a key piece of this this season is what do you have and can you make sense of this? The problem is, I mean, I'm sure like you, it's frustrating because like we've we've been hearing this, just wait until, just wait until Kyrie comes back. Just wait until Hort, you know, Hayward comes back. Just It's like, I, I don't want to wait. And I so I understand the frustration. I just think it's on Twitter, it kind of is getting bizarre. <laughs> it's just going off the rails. The amount of tweets has nosedived so much over the last few weeks. Um, it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy platform to be quite honest, uh, and it's not the only one. If you venture onto Facebook, it's worse there. Um, if you venture onto Reddit, everyone seems a little bit more calm, but it's, it definitely has its moments there. But it is true. This just wait. So it was wait till Hayward. Now then, it was wait till Kemba's back. Now it's wait until the the core four guys are all on the floor together consistently. Then it'll be well. Wait until they're in a rhythm. Wait until they've developed a bit more. It, it's it's annoying, and you feel like you're you're, telling, you're a child being told like wait until after you've ate your dinner to eat your dessert. Wait until. <laughs> so it, it is frustrating. It really is. But as you said, we're coming up to the trade deadline. Once we get past the All Star break, there's going to be wait until a move happens. But when we're looking at it, that's when the discussion really gets into the point of. Well, who on this roster are you willing to move on from, and who who is a, a piece that is worth developing, right? Because at the moment, guys that I considered pieces worth developing at the start of the year, I'm now no longer upset if they leave. Um, guys that I would have been upset if they um, would would have been happy with them leaving, I'm a little bit more on the fence about whether they should stay long term. So, in your perspective, who are going to be the guys that you think? still hold enough value to be a make weight part of a trade deal and also wouldn't upset you if they were to leave this is always the hardest part man i hate this i hate this is why i could never be a gm i mean all the when you see on the twitter like who says no like those types of i i i love the trade machines i'm like ooh, i can make the numbers work and then i'm like wait a second no one would ever do this deal you know so this is the i have a hard time kind of taking looking the other um, the, other, the other perspective, but um, I mean, I guess the answer is in one respect, I wouldn't mind moving on from anybody in the right deal, right? That's so that's the Danny Ainge approach, right? Anybody, Danny's mother might have moved in a deal, you know, anything that isn't nailed down 
um, could go. So I kind of hold off on that. But, like, yeah, I mean, honestly, when you look at, I think, any of those young guys, all of them, Pritchard, Romeo, Neesmith, um, you know, maybe even Time Lord, in the right deal. Now, the problem is what is the right deal? And, and realistically, you know, you'd have to have – get quite a bit to be able to move one or two of those guys. You know, you're talking about somebody who's near all-star quality, somebody who's maybe near Gordon Hayward quality. Um, not to say they need Gordon Hayward, but you get my point, you know? So I, I think that there's, honestly, I'd move any of them, but I also feel like you can't give up all of these young players. There's a value in having the way that what Danny has done, let me back up. What Danny has done to build this bench is done with purpose. To build from within gives you value above contract price in a, in, a, in a rookie deal. If you can get players who hit and, and, you know, Peyton Pritchard is already a plus, you know, in that regard. Um, you know, I think we in the very small samples we saw of Romeo, he could be a very, he could be a plus. I think Neesmith is headed in that direction. So if you're getting plus value, which is basically for them above minimum contract salary guys, then there's a lot of value. And not only that you have, you have control of the player on the contract. So I understand people are frustrated and it's not consistent and it's not conducive to winning all true, all realistic. But to me, like you, you really need to be careful about trying to throw away a lot of this bench for that purpose. Now I like you, you know, I think Carson probably is not going to get a shot here. I don't think Tremont's going to get a shot here. Taco is Taco, uh, you know, but in the right deal, if you're going to get like an Aaron Gordon or maybe even Harrison Barnes, um, you know, if you have to give up one of Romeo or, or Neesmith, I think that may be what you have to do. Um, but knowing that you need to get wings on this, on this roster, there's an imbalance that is apart from what, the value of the player is, and just in terms of roster balance, I think is is a real concern in my mind. I mean, if it's between Romeo and Neesmith for Harrison Barnes, then I'll see Neesmith around um, mm. because Romeo ain't going. I'm very high on the keep Romeo train. I don't know why. I've just got this like unwavering belief. Well, he's got. I mean, I, I think one you can also say it was a, it was a better um, draft that year, but also I think he does. A lot of things in terms of ball handling. I think he has a, a high IQ. I think he's really good coming off. I mean, I think he's, I think he's such a smart player. And I think that there was a lot of offense that we didn't unlock with him last year. Uh, I mean, really, the guy played with one hand um, for a good part of the year. So I agree with you. I mean, I think I don't think those things are. I don't think Neesmith and, and Romeo, in my mind, are even as we kind of enter, um, you know, the trade value of, of relative value. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I'd love to see, love to see, uh, Romeo here, uh, for the long, long stretch. Cause I think he's a good fit between Jalen and Jason. So if you were to choose your top four, yeah, let's go top three, top three trade targets. Who would they be? Yeah. Well, again, so just like, I don't know how to build them. I, you know, realistically it's tough, but, um, I, I think, I think Barnes is number one because I think the cost will be less. I think that he, the Kings have, have scuffled recently. I think also he's just a, a somewhat of a strange fit with, with the type of makeup of their roster. Um, and he also is a Team USA guy, which is something that has not really been talked about. So he was over there in China with Kemba and, and Smart and Tatum and Brown. So there is some potentially some chemistry there to allow you to kind of jump off with right off the bat. Two, 
I'd go Aaron Gordon right away, uh, which is kind of funny because I think they're very different players. But I think the upside on Gordon is so high. Uh, and I think he really was never able to be the type of guy that he could be. The only downside I have with Gordon is his, his age. You know, he's 26. And, yes, that means he's on the same um, timeline as, as Jalen and Jason. The issue I see, though, is part of his what's gone against him in, in Orlando was that, you know, he was somewhat miscast. And I'm not sure if that is that's coaching or if that's him. So that's probably the other one. And then third, I don't know why I'm saying this because honestly, I, I think it's it's probably not realistic. But going back to the Magic, it's Vucevic, and and, and it's not because I'm the first guy to be like, no, he can't defend in space. Uh, he's not a good pick and roll guy. But Brad Stevens' teams have had a really hard time trying to get that kind of north south. Um, you know, trying to draw the defense into the paint. And I know he likes skilled bigs, so that's a plus. Um, but I think they need they need to find a way to to get some <laughs> some gravity towards the hoop. I think Rob Williams is the answer there personally. Uh, but if if it's not if they're not gonna figure out how to go high low or how to you know really have that kind of vertical spacing that he does so well then maybe you got to go with a different approach. Um, that's just always been a frustration of mine with Brad Stevens' teams. They don't attack the basket enough. They don't have enough kind of north-south and it's a lot of side-to-side stuff. So if Vucevic could allow the best of Brad, but also opening things up for Jalen and Jason, then um, it would just be very costly. But I, I'd look at it, absolutely. Those are pretty much my top three as well. I'm a, a little bit more cautious with Vooch just because of – you're bringing in another guy to further cloud the timelines because at the moment, that's for me, that's one of the largest issues. You've straddled a contending and rebuilding line um, at the, all the way through, and you've done it very successfully. Now you're at decision point. You're at the crossroads, and you need to either go continue to rebuild and like a soft rebuild and bring in some more young pieces with higher value that have already proven themselves within the league. Unfortunately, they come at a premium. Or you go all in and you start looking for guys like Vucevic and um, or a Harrison Barnes, somebody that can come in with a veteran status, and then you try and move a few fringe guys for a few of their uh, fringe moves. Maybe you try and open up some cap space for um, try and get Hill out of Oklahoma, or you know you try and make these um, lower tier moves as well to go all in for the second half of the season. My thing with Aaron Gordon for me as well, the one thing I like, and you've just mentioned one of your biggest um, concerns with the Brad Steven offense is not enough penetration, not enough side-to-side ball movement. For me, one of the things that I'm uh, a little bit disappointed with is this team still lacks um, a large amount of athleticism within the roster. If you, you've got Jalen Brand, um, Javante Green, Robert Williams, beyond that, nobody can jump. Not really. Um, so bringing in Aaron Gordon actually gives you additional athleticism, allows you to play at a bit a higher pace. And then obviously the love threat coming off the baseline or coming off uh, the pick and roll, you've got the additional vertical spacing. Having him and Rob Williams on the floor together would give teams absolute nightmares coming off stagger screens. They wouldn't know what to do because Gordon can pop as well. So they're going to be really, they're going to really be stretched. So I think that would be a great move. Um, but that is a big concern of mine is just, not only are the Celtics playing at a slow pace, but they don't have the athletic personnel to, re- even if they were playing fast, they couldn't utilize it to its full potential because they don't have enough guys that can just get up. Um, so that's a big concern. 
now onto the bad. I mean, we spoke some good stuff. We gave everyone what they want to hear. We got the trade stuff in. What isn't making you two happy watching these games right now? Oh, man. How long we got? Um, <laughs> 10, 15. <laughs> no, I, I, in all seriousness, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be bad about. I mean, I, let's, let's start with the things you can't control. I mean, injuries are and, – and let's put with that COVID, let's put with that schedule, right? I think – the things you can't control have really – there's few teams that have been um, victimized among their best players as 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 partially as the Celtics have really dealt with the last – first half of the season. Um, I, I'm now – I've now decided that, that this season, because it's in two parts, it's like infinite – it's like uh, the Avengers. Uh, the first part of the season is going to be Infinity War. And the second half of the season is going to be Endgame. I'm not sure who's going to snap in the end. But I'm just saying, I, I, that's, you know, we just got dusted and now we're going to see, you know, after the, you know, what's going to happen. Um, anyway, but yeah, so injuries have gone as poorly as could be. Uh, I, I think that we've, um, we've done a great job in terms of, um, you know, not only having two players uh, really with terrible COVID um, symptoms is, is, that's great. I mean, there's kind of like the, the, the human thing of this, which is like, okay, all of this is bad. And, you know, I, so I, I have to give that kind of <laughs> qualifier, but it's gone terribly for the Celtics. Um, so I think that's the worst thing. Um, but then beyond that, I don't think that they've taken that opportunity. I think Brad has not taken that opportunity to force people into some positions that he's not comfortable with. I don't think he used Neesmith early enough. I don't think he, frankly, I don't think he's put Carson in as good of a spot. I mean, I, to me, if you're going to be short guys and you're going to not have some nights when you have Marcus Smart and Kenva Walker uh, and, and Jeff Teague is, is a walking corpse, uh, has been for the last two weeks or two months, why, why, I know Carson got a run there, but, why not more consistent run? I mean, you can't do anything inconsistently as a player. So those are the, you know, that's, that's, and then the, the third frustration for me is just the Brad, the Danny hasn't been able to do anything yet. And and that's maybe unfair because he has, that's largely dictated by the market that surrounds him. But in those orders, kind of COVID slash injuries slash schedule being a real bear for them, Brad not really playing the young players enough uh, to my liking, even possibly leading to more losses. Um, and then three, just Danny um, not being able to do anything, but I, I do understand that a little bit better. I'm a full Danny, Danny Angelologist, mind you. I've been for 20 years. So uh, there's not a lot of criticism in this quarter coming for Danny. Um, but do you think that Brad is slowly because when Brad came into the league, he'd always coached um diminish diminutive guards. I'll end it that. And he's done that all through his college career. He spoke about it at a press conference about 18 months ago, where he said that playing with a small guard means that they do things exceptionally well in terms of change of pace, in terms of they usually lights out from deep because they have to be, it's the way they develop their game. And and over the last few years, I've seen Brad slowly start trusting the smaller guards off the bench less and less. Obviously, he's, he likes his lead guard to be uh, a bit on the smaller side. Isaiah Thomas, Campbell Walker, even Kyrie. I mean, hell, I'm, I think I'm taller than Kyrie Irving. So, you know, most guards I should be looking up to, not looking down or at eye level with. Um, so when I'm 
looking at it like that, and then you've got someone like Carson Edwards that when Brad first came into the into the league, that seems like his dream secondary guard. Just a guy that can fly off a screen, pull up in movement, and can hit some pocket passes here and there. Now I feel like he would prefer to have be able to bring more size off at that guard position, um, which is why Hill makes sense to me. Um, it's why I was very shocked when Brogdon got moved a, a while back that Boston didn't see, you know, they had the treasure trove there. He, Brogdon was coming off a 50-40-90 a year. I was just kind of, you know, try and put yourself in that mix. Um, so there was a few things there, but I do think that Brad is slowly moving away from wanting multiple small guards and want, maybe he does prefer to bring a bit of size off the bench because if we look now, he... Like Romeo, I've got a feeling when Romeo's back, Romeo will get time at the one because he likes to play Pritchard at the two. Mm. And I feel like that's going to be something that he starts to work with. And Jeff Teague to me was um, Brad wanted him when he came into the league. Maybe it was a bit sentimental, but it just has not worked out. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I credit to him. He had a great game Friday night, and, and that was – if he can play with energy like that, then um, I'm always – I love being wrong about people I'm I'm getting on their case. So I, if I can be wrong about this and he comes off and looking great, then I will eat that humble pie and, yeah, go for it. Um, but you're right. No, I, I think that the switchability and the desire to be able to switch one through four or, or at least um, a little bit one through five, I think that that's been something that he's relying more and more on. I think it's something the league is starting to go towards. Uh you know, I was listening to Zach Lowe on with uh, uh, and Scalabrini there. They they had a show on Friday, and same sort of idea. Just talking about the need for not just uh, you know two through four to be six seven six eight that kind of wing size, but it's really you're really talking about your ones too, and that being able to switch on to that. We we still have flashbacks of you know um, LeBron getting switched on to <laughs> Isaiah and really not having. But, you know, what do you do? Just, well, that's two points. Um, and that's – I think that that's been – you know, I think so that's that's an issue, I think, going forward. I think you also see with Pritchard, he's somebody who, who, who pushes back and fights back. So you can put him at the two a little bit. But I agree with you. That's why I think Romeo walks into this. Uh, he, a lot of – a lot on his shoulders, but I think he has a lot of opportunities. And I think he's – you're right. He's – He's really what Brad wants to play. He's the type of player that just fits really well. He's smart. He's got a good IQ, and he works hard. We saw defensively. He had really – that's the thing that stood out, which was kind of counter to, you know, kind of the word coming into the season on him last year. So I, you're totally right. I think that that's, that's the direction they're going to go. Now the question to me is like, okay, what do you do with Kemba Walker, who's got max money over the next two years? And where – you know – are they going to try to get off that money or, you know, even if he plays well this year, are you going to try to flip that and turn it into something else? Um, it's, it's a good, it's a big question. I think for the Celtics uh, moving forward, I don't think two years is the end all, you know, is, is going to be a killer, but it's one of those things where the time, the clock has started to tick for Jason and Jalen. And so the Celtics got to do as much as they can in that time while they're on these post those rookie extension deals to show that they should be staying at the end of those deals. Well, I'll call it the conveyor belt of doom. That's what I've named it. <laughs> the next five years, because it goes Marcus right. Smart contracts, Kemba Walker contracts, Jalen Brown contracts, Jason Tatum contracts. And it literally goes year after year after year. One of your core four guys for the next four years 
is going to be on a contract year mm-hmm. and then it's are they going to opt into a player option are they going to opt out and if they opt out are they going to stay which is why i think that making moves now um to show them that you're committed to the being a competitive franchise and you're committed to giving them every opportunity to, to succeed is important I, I spoke about this recently uh, you if a player if you make a team as competitive as possible and the players consistently fall short the player has to live with that. They cannot hold that against the franchise. We gave you all the pieces necessary. It just wasn't to be. Sign again, and we'll, you know we will put more competitive pieces around you. And this is why if Kawhi and PG don't win in with the Clippers this year, that is Kawhi and PG's fault, not the Clippers, because they've made sure that the supporting cast is good enough to be a championship-level team, um, which is why I'd expect some moves to be made. One move that everybody's speaking about at the moment, and I feel very vindicated in this because I took a bunch of heat about this about, about 10 months ago. I remember tweeting that I believed that Lonzo Ball would be the perfect um, point guard for this team um, 10 months ago, and I got called every name <laughs> under the sun. Fast forward 10 months, what was trending on Twitter a few days, a few weeks ago, a week ago, two weeks ago? Everybody wants Lonzo Ball. I, the one thing I'll say is he brings the size that you need. He brings the perimeter defense, but he doesn't bring the penetration that the Celtics need um, because he's very much a perimeter-based guard. He won't drive and dish because, quite frankly, I think he's scared of the contact at this point in his career. So, But I just wanted to sneak that in there because I haven't sn- snuck it in yet. Um. <laughs> no, but, you know, just real quick, though, you're right. He if, if the issue is being able to run a team and find the guys and all that, if, if you don't want to put that on the, on the shoulders of Tatum and Brown, then why not have somebody who's 3 and D, basically, good size, and, and can facilitate the ball from side to side and let, you know, okay, I'm going to, okay, it's Jason's turn over here, now it's Jalen's turn over there. I mean, maybe that's what has to happen. I, but the, the penetration, to me, that, that there is a solution to that. And and an answer it's it's first name Robert last name Williams. Uh, that's if if you unlock him and he can be your guy, then you've got all the vertical spacing you need, and and you're able to make. And we certainly know Lonzo can throw a lob. Um, so if you could get him for low, that could be the ultimate kind of buy low deal uh, right now. That I think that you know one of those things where if you're not able to get one of the big guys, that might be the type of deal you do. For Danny, to, to kind of if you're getting a couple guys, if he's one of them, and there's a couple others, that may be what you do at the deadline, just to add some pieces. And if you hit on him, then it's easier to move on from Kemba, turn that into something else. And you know, I love Kemba. I you know, I think he's been a great player here and, and a, a good piece of this roster when it was so shaky after Kyrie left. But I I, I hear you. I, I'm interested in that idea. That would that would definitely raise my eyebrows for sure. Do you ever think, and this is something that I've been pondering more and more over the last 10 days also, do you ever think that because of the backlash and the the way it made it shine a light on the franchise when they traded Kyrie for IT, that Danny is a little bit more reluctant to pull the trigger on any trades? Because... I know that players like to see teams developing um, youth and it shows that the franchise is ran correctly. And by having so many, you're going to hit on two or two of these guys. Two of these bench guys will end up being legitimate role players for the next 10 to 15 years. 
And that shines the light on the Celtics in a very good way. And maybe he's concerned that the guys he trades will end up being those ones that become role players. Sometimes you've got to bite that bullet and take that risk. But I do think that the fact that he hasn't made a big trade since that Kyrie trade, not enough weight is put on that. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're you're right. I think that there is there's I think a couple things have happened too. I think that the cost to get a guy, uh, a good guy. I'm not talking about you know kind of the end of bench, throw two seconds at a team and and get an Alec Burks type thing. I'm talking about a real player. I mean, when when Davis Bertans, the asking price is two number ones. Great year last year. Would have been a real plus the uh, guy. But I wouldn't give two number ones to get Davis Bertans, right? I mean, as, as an upcoming free agent, like what is going on? Like, you know, so it. I think that the cost has gone up on some of these guys. I think you've also seen that because the market, the, the expected free agent classes and the amount of money available has kind of fluctuated too. Uh, so that's also been a piece of this. And then I think, you know, certainly if we want to go two years ago, they had such a talented team. It just didn't work out. And I think, you know, the math that, that Danny was doing in his head is, look, what if this thing works out? What if, uh, you know, Kyrie decides today he likes it here and is having a good time and wants to win here? Well, then the Celtics, you know, move on from there much in a much better scenario. I think, to, I guess what I'm saying is the criticism of not, not making deals I think has been probably a reliance on being too um, too expectant and too too hopeful that players might change their mind in terms other than what they're actually saying. You know, a Hayward being unhappy, being you know the fourth guy, and Kyrie being generally unhappy. Uh, I think that the, the criticism I'd have of Danny over the last few years is rather than seeing that and wanting to be the guy who traded one day too soon rather than too late. He waited and and hoped it would turn around, and it just it, it's not. So I think that's the that's the thing I want to see some re reexamination of internally from the franchise to be like, what could we have done differently? And those are things you and I are never going to know because they're never going to get reported. They're never going to you know it's never going to be in the press. That's an internal thing. But to me, like that's where their ability to assess the market and understand their own players. That's what I want to see uh, improved here over the next you know. Month, you know, twelve months for eighteen months. Yeah, it needs to happen. There needs to be some form of um, ramifications as well if this TPE goes unused um, by the end of the summer. I doubt it will. I think Ainge knows as well that you know, as untouchable as I might be, if I let a twenty-eight point five million total like coupon just dis disappear down the drain. I like how, did you ever listen to John Corrales explain the TP when it first happened? And he put it in terms of coupons. And um, I, I already understood what the TP was because luckily I could speak to Keith about it. But um, I've just always called it a coupon since then because it's just so easy to kind of um, relate to something you use yeah. all the time, you know. Uh, but it's true. Like he could, if you let, if Danny Ainge lets this coupon dissolve down the drain, then uh, there, there needs to be an inquisition. There yeah. does, and it's yeah. going to be tough. I mean, look, I'm super high on a lot of the guys on this team. I'm also one of the people that's like a trade needs to happen, but I don't want to trade anyone. So it's it's a there's a juxtaposition amongst everything that's going on with the Celtics at the moment, and it's interesting. It's it's really fun. 
before we kind of wrap this up, the last question I've got for you is how how much of a loss to the locker room do you believe Kara Lawson was during the playoffs and moving into this year? It's a good question. Uh, it's under that's that's her loss and you know really just generally the the mood and the uh, way that that the way that locker room was working. It's so difficult because this is when you see the value of having the the beat writers available. You know, this is when you see okay, is it working? Is it not working? What's happening? I mean, right now we've got you know. Gary Washburn, who's been very critical of, Dan, of of Brad and whether or not he's lost the locker room or not lost the locker room, but Gary's not really able to get in the locker room. He has no idea. He's going off of what he sees on the floor, just like you and I are. Um, not to mean to, to criticize Gary. I'm just saying it, it's very hard. We're not getting any reporting on that. So we're all, all you and I can go off of is what we're seeing. She seems to have been a very well-respected um, and and beloved member of that coaching staff. Uh, now, admittedly, I'm a Duke guy, so you know it's not. This isn't like it's this is awful. I'm so upset. What do I do? You know, I'm pretty happy that she's went to the Duke women's program, and and I'm sure in, in short order we'll turn that around. But I'm I, I think that I think the balance of who those assistant coaches are on that staff is super super important. And I think whether it's a, it's a Carol Lawson who has a lot of respect in that locker room, bringing in Evan Turner, uh, I think that there's a real need to have people who have that experience, who have that, who are pros and, and understand, you know, how all that works, uh, how the league works, how locker rooms work. There's a need for that person. I think Kara filled that role to a T uh, and just a, such an impressive person. Now the question is like, okay, now what? Can Evan be that guy? Can can we bring somebody else in? Um, so I don't know the answer really, but I think that the role she filled, the role that Evan Turner is filling, I don't know if it's been fully solved because you have two 23, 22, 22 whatever year old guys and a, and a roster full of young guys. They need those those saged voices, people who've been there and done it, who've, who've succeeded at the highest levels. To be able to be in their ear and say, "Look, hey, this is this is how you lead. This is how you this is how you you trust." To, to go back to the beginning, Adam, how do you trust your teammates and build that cohesion? So, I that it, on that level alone, she's a, she's a missed voice here in, in the Celtics uh, locker room for sure. That's been my kind of consensus for uh, trainer for as well is you need somebody to connect the coaching team to the players in and do so in a way that's conducive to winning and conducive to helping the players buy into the grand scheme of the offensive, um, the way the offense is produced, the way the defense is produced. And Cara came in as like a multiple time champion, um, has succeeded at everything she's done in terms of basketball. So losing her, you don't only lose the respect, but you lose somebody that's like, hey, I was a leader for 10 years um, at the highest level. I'm coming here and I'm going to teach you to be a leader. And while Evan Turner is fantastic, he's, um, you know, the king of memes, is hilarious, king of quotes. I don't know if he has the experience necessary to be able to pass on to Jason and Jalen because he was never the leader of a championship contending team. Um, and this isn't like he, you know, he still played at a level of basketball that the rest of us dream about, but he was never at the forefront of a roster 
the way JT and JB are. So they might not listen to his advice the way they would have listened to Kara's. Or he might not even know what to say to them because he might be like, hey, I'm talking out my bum here because I don't know what you guys are going through. And for me, that's been a bit of a concern. The lack of NBA um, experience on that coaching staff within itself is quite um, worrisome to me. I don't think your head coach needs NBA experience, but one of the assistants should be an NBA vet. And then you need a connectivity coach as well that can really gel everyone together. Right then, um, I've told you it'll be 30 minutes. It's been 40. It's my mistake. Um, before we go, do you want to let everybody know where they can find your stuff? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm always on the Twitter at CSL underscore Duke. You can always see me there um, saying usually Pollyanna things and, and being very, very optimistic and always silver lining in the cloud, except for when I get really mad online and then I'm just, you know, we'll lay waste everything. But no, you know, look, I, I'm there. And then, of course, Celtic Stuff Live. Uh, this is our 15th. No, this is our 16th year going into. Um, so, yeah, we're as a podcast, we can in, in the States here, we can drive. Uh, so, um, you yeah, know, we're going for We're still on a learner's permit right now. But uh, there's yeah, we're we're, you know, still plugging away, recording once a week. That's our that's been our things since the beginning once a week and uh you know justin and i still doing the show still doing the thing uh you know and we it's changed a lot we used to have a lot more guests a lot more you know we used to have callers um but you know i think the intimate format like you and i are doing here just like a couple guys just chatting about the team as somebody who i drive pretty far for work uh every day my commute and uh, it's great to be able to just have that conversation in your ear in your earbuds or whatever uh and so uh love to keep doing it and you know look i think we're all just hoping this thing can can turn around and and you know i think we i think the fans need to set reasonable reasonable expectations but i think uh the team needs to step up too both things can be true um so let's hope let's hope we have a better second half and and you know we can find out uh you know who is not who's what's inevitable but who's iron man you know and then we're ready to go it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun second half to the season. And um look guys, as Duke said, he's been doing this for like 15, 16 years now. Um, which means I was fifteen or sixteen when he started doing this. Uh you know, so definitely go check him out. He's obviously been the one that's kind of laid the way forward for the rest of us guys. Uh you wouldn't have as many Celtics podcasts as what there is now, which there is a lot. Um, if it weren't for guys like Duke that really put the work in at the beginning before they were called podcasts and they were just do-it-yourself pirate radio. Um, <laughs> which it was. I mean, if we're being serious. Right, guys, um, I hope everybody's having a good day. You'll catch me again on Wednesday. As usual, I'm going to be doing um, a live mailbag episode on the Locker Room app today, Monday, at 4 p.m. Eastern that will then be turned into a podcast for Wednesday. So download the app, follow me at Adam Taylor NBA on the app, and uh, we can speak there later on today. Otherwise, please leave that five-star written review. Um, helps us a bunch. And if you really, really like the show, then make sure you tell all your Celtics friends about it. And we'll catch you again on Wednesday.